Throw it down. Well, I didn't know I was finishing tonight. That run was just like about six months early, but uh, it's going to be a long message tonight. Just hope you're, uh, hope you're ready. We're going to be here at about midnight as we cover the rest of the book of, of Romans uh, in, one, in one fell swoop. So how are you all doing tonight? You, you feel like, it just feels like you're up, you're ready to go. It's just, uh, it feels like great service. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray. My name is Matt, uh, Pastor Mike, by the way. If you're, you're brand new, any first timers here? We have any first timers here? There we go. See someone right back there. We got one right back here. Great. Any over here? We got one right over there. Yeah, great. Good. Got some over there. People are going like this, pointing at their friend, you know. <laughs> right here, right here. Get them. Embarrass them. Make them stand up. Sing. Do the alma mater. Whatever. Uh, uh, great to be with you, and we're so glad you're here with us. And inside your weekend program is a white message note sheet that we use every week as we go through our time of teaching. So I encourage you to take that out. And uh, if you have your Bibles, turn up to, to open to Romans chapter 7. If we're going to be uh, studying together today. So let me, uh, let me pray, and then we'll jump right in. Father, we're excited about what you're doing here at the church. We're excited what you're doing in our lives. God, we're, we're coming alive as a congregation. We are engaging. We're experiencing you in new ways. These 90 baptisms, Lord, the, the new kind of insights that you're, you're kind of building into our lives, the new freedom we're experiencing. And so, God, we're just excited to see what every week brings, the next step of the journey. And so, God, we pray that you'd come, you'd fill this place with your spirit right now. Be our teacher as we go into your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, our story starts today with a young man. Uh, he, he grew up in a, a Christian home. Um, he was one of those kids who just loved God, you know, from the, from, from the get-go. You know what I'm talking about? I just kind of came out, uh, loved the word from the time he was a, a little boy, um, he, uh, by the time he was in junior high, he probably knew the Bible better than most adults ever will. Uh, he was a good kid, did well in school, active in sports. Uh, life was going well for him. Um, and, and in fact, life seemed pretty easy uh, for him. It was just, and spiritually, it seemed easy. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, oh, what's so tough? You know, you read the Bible, you learn the Bible, you, you do what God says, life works out. And, and life was going well until junior high. And... Uh, when he got to junior high, all of a sudden his body started to change and his life began to change. He started to have new feelings, new emotions, new, new struggles. It wasn't just in one area of his life. It was in like lots of areas. There was some anger issues that were emerging. There were um, conflicts with his parents that he'd always gotten along well with until that point in time. There was um, uh, doubt, spiritual questions, doubts about his faith, his relationship with God. But there's, it was all kind of, it was peer pressure, conflict, peer, peer kind of conflict, you know, peer, kind of peer pressure issues were happening. So all kinds of things, but the biggest thing that was happening, one of the biggest issues was his sexuality was kicking in. And, uh, and all of a sudden, it was like he flipped a switch, turned a corner, and one night, it was all of a sudden, he was a sexual being, and he wasn't sure quite what to do with that. New desires, new temptations, new things that were powerful things happening inside of him, and, and so... Uh, and so he's trying to figure this out, not really sure what to do. It was in his uh, eighth grade year that he was elected to be ASB treasurer of the school he went to, and that meant one of his responsibilities every day was to count the money after lunch, take all the money in from lunchtime, and it was his job to count it, to uh, 
pay out the deposit slip, and then take it down to the bank a few weeks, uh, I mean, a few blocks away. And so every day while his buddies were going out to sixth period, he'd go out to the bike rack, pick a bike of the day, uh, jump on, and uh, ride it down to the bank and uh, make the deposit. After the deposit, there was a 7-Eleven there, and so he would, he would go in the 7-Eleven. Of course, he was growing like crazy and always hungry, and so go and get a snack. And that's where, that's where it would happen kind of every day. Every day there would be a battle. That's where it happened because as you looked in through the windows of the 7-Eleven, there were, uh, were all the magazines, you know, the racks of racks of magazines. And, but on the bottom shelf were those magazines. You know what I'm talking about? And the battle would begin every day. And the battle would start and there's no question he was a Christ follower, and he wanted to do the right thing, and he knew this wasn't the right thing, but couldn't really explain it, but it was just like this power, this lure, this draw within him, drawing him to those pictures. It was almost like the, it was almost like the endorphins were like kicking in his brain or something. You could almost feel the surge. You could feel the hunger. You could feel the passion. Then he would stand there looking at those magazines, and the battle would ensue wanting to do what's right, feeling a power within him, just drawing him on to do what was wrong. No show of hands. But have you been there? Maybe your issue is not sexual temptation. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's eating. Maybe it's gambling. Maybe it's substance abuse of some kind. Maybe it's a codependency issue. You just cannot say no. Maybe it's a greed. Maybe it's a a bitterness in your heart. Maybe it's a pride. But you know what I'm talking about, that area of your life that you just say, I I, I swear, I'm never going to do that again, only to fall and to do it again. Well, today we're continuing our series. It's called The Way. And for those of you who are new, it's a series where we're studying the life and the teaching of the Apostle Paul, who is one of the greatest spiritual leaders of all time, great Christ follower. And what we're doing in this series is we're coming alongside of him. We're letting him mentor us in what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in the 21st century? What does it mean to be part of his ancient movement that he started in the early church? And the book of Acts was called The Way. And what we're doing every week is we're starting with his most, his most famous letter, his long, one of his longest letters, the letter to the Church of Rome. We're using that as a, a jumping off point, a gateway, and then we're kind of branching out from there to some of his other writings to let him mentor us in what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. And so right now we're in the second, kind of a second mini-series in the letter to, of Romans. The second mini-series this goes from chapter 5 through 8. It's called Rescued and Restored because it's a, it's a story of now that we've come back to, uh, to God through Christ now that we've been forgiven, now that we've been rescued from our past, what does it look like to live in this new relationship with God and to be restored, to become the people that we were created to be? What does that look like? And today we come to chapter 7. And chapter 7 of Romans is one of the most famous chapters in the whole Bible. Um, It's also one of the most controversial chapters in the whole Bible. It focuses, it talks about the dark side of human nature. And uh, what I want to do today is to start by kind of um, spend quite a bit of time just walking through the chapter together. It's a long chapter, but it all hangs together, so we're going to do it together. Um, and, and kind of walk through and catch the flow of what Paul teaches about uh, human nature. 
Um, and then at the end, we're going to come back with one big takeaway that's very critical for us as Christ's followers. If we're going to walk with Jesus, if we're going to be restored, become the people we're intended to be, critical truth. So if you have your Bibles, uh, kind of open up to chapter 7, and uh, you have a section there in your note sheet called Romans 7, the big picture. I want to start by giving you um, sort of a brief intro to the chapter, and then we'll jump on in. So here's how it goes. Um, chapter 7 has to do with our relationship as Christ followers to the Old Testament law. That's, that's kind of the topic. Uh, how, what's our relationship with the law? And of course, as we'll see in the chapter, the problem is not the law. The law of God, as we'll see today, is, was good and right and true. Uh, the law of God was given to the nation of Israel to teach them how to live, how to be successful in life, how to get the most out of life. So there's nothing wrong with the law. But what we're going to learn today is there's something dreadfully wrong with human nature. And when you bring the law of God into intersection with human nature, that it causes all kinds of problems. Because the law tells us how to live, but it doesn't give us the power to live that way. It can say, this is what you're supposed to do, but it doesn't change our human nature, so it doesn't empower us to do that. And on top of that, it even goes worse than that that the law, which is kind of designed to tell us, here's how to live and get the most out of life, there's something within us as human beings that when you tell us not to touch the wet paint, <laughs> we want to touch the paint. You ever have kids like this? It's like you say, hey, don't touch that. They didn't even know it was there before. But now it's like, <laughs> right? There's something within human nature that when you tell us what to do, even if it's in our best interests, we want to do the exact opposite. And so um, this was a particular problem for the Jewish nation because if you're, if you're a Jew at the time of Paul, when Paul is teaching about Jesus, um, even if you buy into this, you go, okay, Paul, I get this. I get this, that we can never come to God based on the law. We can never really live up to it. We've already seen that in Romans, right? I get that. But Paul, as a Jew, I've made a commitment to keep the Old Testament law. See, uh, the, the Jewish people had a unique relationship with the Old Testament law, didn't they? When they came out of the land of Egypt, they, they came to Mount Sinai, and God revealed himself, and he made them an offer. He said, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. He offered them a very special and unique privilege as a nation, and they said yes to God. And they had sort of a, a, like a covenant ratification ceremony, like a wedding. It was much like a wedding where you have two people who say, we want to be committed to one another, and you take your vows. Well, there at Mount Sinai, they had a covenant ratification ceremony. And you're going to study it in your summer study homework this week. And so God said, okay, I, I want you to be my people. I want to be your God. And here are the terms, the vows, if you will, of our relationship. And Israel was like a young bride in the desert. They were just so taken with this God. Yes, we want to follow you. We will do everything you said. So they enter into this relationship with God, this vow relationship. So now let's kind of fast forward now to the time of Paul. And, and you have a Jewish man or woman saying, Paul, okay, I get it. Yes, we can't keep the law, but you'd understand we're Jews. We made a commitment as a nation. We're people of the law. We said we would do. Now, this marriage may not be working out so well for us, but, but we made a commitment. How do we get out of the commitment that we made? We can't just leave this relationship, this commitment we made to God. 
And what Paul's going to say is, well, here's how it works. Is that when you come to Jesus as the Messiah of the Jewish race, when you come to the Messiah, and you follow him and you're baptized, that you become connected spiritually with him. We've been studying this the last few weeks, right? When you're baptized, you become connected spiritually. His death becomes your death. And so when you, when you became a Christian, you died to your old life. And as a Jew, that means the law, your commitment to the law. And so you, you died to that old marriage relationship, so you're free now to remarry and have a new relationship with God through Christ. Are you following me? Okay, so this is what he's going to be arguing. And in the rest of the chapter, he says, he, d- he takes the rest of the chapter to describe what lo- life looks like when you're in a position like the Jews were, where you know what's right to do, and yet you don't have the power to do it. Okay, that's what Romans 7 is about. So let's take our Bibles, and let's walk through this together. Romans chapter 7, and of course we'll start at verse 1 since that is the beginning. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to men who know the law. He says, I'm I'm talking to men well-versed in the Old Testament law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. Okay, so let's say, for example, that tonight after the service, um, you decide you're going to go steal a car in the parking lot, uh, go rob a bank, and, uh, and you do this, and then there's a high-speed chase that happens after that, after you rob the bank, and, and there's a fatal car crash, and you're killed. Now, once you're dead, you broke the law, right? But once you're dead, they don't prosecute you, right? They don't, like, arrest you. I don't care. He stole the money. We're putting him in jail. <laughs> well, get him, get him, get him, Frank. I'm, we, type, we chase this guy all over Topanga. There's no way. Let's take him in, Right? What Paul is saying is once, once you are dead, your obligation to the law is over. Okay? So he says, um, the law has authority on man only as long as he lives. Now he's going to give a case study here, and it's going to be for marriage. He says, for example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband. When you, know, when you get married, you make a commitment till death do we part, right? So you're bound to your husband as long as he's alive, Okay? But if her husband dies, then she is released from the law of marriage. She no longer has to stay married. He's dead. It broke the law. It's over now. So then if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. Okay, So if you say, I'm just sick of being married. I'm just going to divorce you. I'm going to marry someone else. In a technical sense, that's adultery. You, you've, you made a commitment till death do we part. Okay? He says, but if her husband dies, it's all different. She's released from the law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. Okay, so here's his case study proving that when there's a death, the law is over. Right? That's what he's trying to show. And now he applies it to our lives. He says, so my brothers, especially my Jewish brothers here, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. Now, how did you die to the law? Well, what we saw in chapter 6 couple weeks ago, that when we are baptized, we are baptized into Christ Jesus, into his death and his resurrection, right? And so we're connected spiritually with him. His death becomes our death. And Paul says, so you died to this old commitment on Mount Sinai your people had. You died through the body of Christ. And he said, that, and the reason that you died is so that you might belong to another. You might be remarried, in other words, 
to him who is raised from the dead to Christ in order that we might bear fruit for God. We might live life as it's supposed to be lived. He says, for when we were controlled uh, by the sinful nature. Now, literally, what it says here is while we were in the flesh. In other words, before we came to Christ, while we were in Adam, that's what the Bible says, you were in the flesh then. After you come to Christ, you're in the spirit. We'll see that in Romans 8. So, so before you come to Christ, you're in the flesh. He says, for when we were controlled by the sinful nature, in other words, we're in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. Now, he's going to describe what he means here and a lot more in a couple minutes, okay? But basically, he says, what, be, before we came to Jesus, what happens when the law enters into, intersects our life? It actually arouses sinful uh, passions. He says, but now, now that we've come to Christ, by dying to what once bound us, we've died to the law through Christ, we have been released from the law, just like that woman out of her marriage, been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. So Paul says that before we come to Christ, we're in the flesh. And when the law comes into our life, a certain dynamic happens. We'll see that. The rest of the chapter is about what happens when the law enters into our life uh, as a person who has not come to Christ. He says, but after we come to Christ, the Spirit comes into our life. That changes everything. And chapter 8 next week, we'll talk about that. But chapter 7 is about what's it like to be a Jewish person living under the law in the Old Testament, knowing what to do but not having the power to do it, and how it produces death in our life. Now, of course, the same dynamic is true for any person before they come to Christ. He's talking this, it's focused on the Jews because they were the ones who received the law, but anyone who tries to live up to God's law Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, it's going to produce death in their life, okay? So, so there in your note sheet, we've got four questions going to walk us through this chapter. Um, and the first question goes like this. Goes like this. Question one, uh, how do we get out of our first marriage? That was the first question. How do we get out of this first marriage, this spiritual marriage that we're in as a nation of Jews? We've, we've been, we married into God and committed at Mount Sinai. How do we get out of that? Paul's answer is when you follow the Messiah, his death becomes your death. And once you're dead, you're dead to your old commitments made back there as a nation. And now you're free to enter into a new relationship with God through Christ and through the power of the Spirit. All right. Now the second question. The second question goes on then in chapter 6, well, is the law a good thing? So let's say that you're a Jewish person there in the crowd, and you're saying, wait a second, Paul. You're talking, you're saying that, that while we were under the law, it produced this death in us, this fruit for death. That sounds like you're saying the Old Testament law was a bad thing. But we know as Jews, it was a good thing. It was, a, it was what set us apart as a nation. It was the, God's greatest gift to us as a nation was the law of God. So is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? And, and Paul's going to say, oh, no, it's a good thing. It's a great thing. In fact, there in your note sheet, I put a, a verse from Psalm 119. I think this is something as New Testament believers, we often miss this. 
We often think of the Old Testament law as a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. The problem is us, not the law. And we'll see that in a little bit. But the law was a great thing. For example, in Psalm 119, there in your note sheet, the psalmist writes it this way. He says, to all perfection, I see a limit. But your commands, O God, your commands, the law, they're boundless. And there's no limit to how cool they are. How I, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your, uh, your, your teachers. So, I mean, I meditate on your statute. So he says, the law is a great thing. Paul's going to say in this passage, no, it's a great thing. The problem isn't the law. The problem is us, Okay? The problem is us. And he's going to say what ha- the problem is what happens when you take a fallen human being and you introduce God's law at that intersection, some, the dynamic that happens leads to death. And so um, he's going to give us a case study of this. He's going to pick an example of the Ten Commandments. Okay, he's like, let's pick one. Let's pick, pick one of the Ten Commandments, and I'll show you, Paul says, how this works out. Now, he picks one that's an interesting one. He picks the law of coveting. You know that law of the Ten Commandments? You know, there's no... no Adultery, no killing, no stealing, whatever. But the last one is, thou shalt not covet. Don't, don't covet. Now, what's it mean to covet? Well, to covet means to want something really badly, uh, usually something that your neighbor has, and, and you want it so badly, your life begins to revolve around it, so you're willing to make compromises to get it, right? So, that, so coveting would be like the opposite of contentment. Like, what's, what's opposite? Contentment versus coveting. And so, so what God's saying is don't covet. It's going to make your life miserable. You don't want to covet. And coveting leads to all kinds of other sins. If you stop and think about the Ten Commandments, things like um, why does someone murder? Because they want something the other person has usually. Why do they steal? Same reason. Why do they commit adultery? Because you want someone else's wife or a husband. And so coveting is kind of the master sin behind all sins. And so Paul picks this one. He says, let's, let's, let me, let's talk about how this works out. He says, uh, you know, in my own life, um, I wouldn't even know, and this was a big deal, that you shouldn't covet unless God told me. He said, but the moment that God told me, uh, all of a sudden, I started wanting everything. He said, that's how this works. This is what I'm talking about, is that, that when you bring fallen human nature and you say, thou shalt not, even if the thou shalt not is for our best interests, it creates a hunger for the very thing. That's how messed up we are. <laughs> good. All right, so aren't you glad you came to church? Well, there is good news at the end. All right. So, um, so let's see what he says. Let's move on here. We'll start in verse 7. Hey, do we ever do, do we do 5 and 6 already? Okay, good. Just, all right. Verse 7. Okay, so what should we say then? Is the law sin? Well, and he's going to say, of course not. Certainly not. Indeed, I wouldn't even have known what sin was except through the law. I mean, this is great. The law tells me, don't do this. You'll mess up your life. Don't commit adultery. It's stupid. You know, you're going to, ruin, you're going to hurt a lot of people. Don't steal stuff. It's going to mess up your life. You know, don't kill people. It really messes up their, li- their life. <laughs> uh, so he says, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have figured that one out if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the covenant, or the commandment, 
produced in me every kind of covetous desire. Now, here's the interesting thing. We'll talk about this more later. But we're going to see as we go through this is Paul says there is a power within the human personality that is anti-God, that is self-centered, that is self-destructive. And that he's not talking about specific sins. He's talking about a, a power within us that makes us want to do what is not right, good, and true. He calls it sin. He's going to almost make it like a person as we go through it. It's this power called sin, okay? So he says, but sin, verse 8, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of covetous desire because apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive, like spiritually, apart from the law. So once I was just kind of oblivious, but when the commandment came, sin, sin sprang to life and I died. And I found that the very commandment that was intended, catch this, intended to bring life. God's commandments are given to us for our good. They're intended to give life. But it actually brought about death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, it deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. Now this is very much, he's using language here, like from the opening chapters of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. Think back in the Garden of Eden. God says, um, don't eat from this tree. If you do, you will die. So, okay, so he's giving them a warning. He's protecting them from something, right? Satan comes along and says, don't believe it. If you eat from the tree, you will actually become like God. He deceives them. They buy into it, and they violate the commandment, right? They break the commandment, and it leads to their death. And so Paul says, in a sense, that's what happens in our life. God gives us a commandment that tells us what to do to get the most out of life. And then sin deceives us. We violate the commandment and it leads to our death. You see, it's the same thing. So he, he goes on then. He says, so, what's, so he says, the bottom line is the law is holy. The, law's, uh, the, the commandment's holy. It's righteous and good. So the question is, is the law a good thing or a bad? No, it's a great thing. The problem isn't the law. The problem is human nature and what happens when you introduce the truth into human nature. Now, so let's go on. We've got a third question then. Third question. Well, does the law lead to death? This is the, if you're in the crowd, the Jewish person in the crowd, does the law lead to death? So he says, okay, Paul, let me, let me get this straight. You're saying the law is a good thing, but hey, let's be real here. Let's be honest. Aren't you saying that the law you know, when it comes, it leads us to death. Isn't that what you're saying? You're saying it's a good thing, but it really results in our death. And what Paul's going to say is, no, no, no. You're dead already. Uh, the law just reveals how messed up we are. What it does is like, like, if, I, like if I'm with you and I'm your buddy and I'm saying, hey, don't do that, you'll get hurt. And you go, oh, I'm going to do it just because you told me not to. It shows there's something wrong with you, Right? It's like, you should be smart. You should say, thank you, Mike, for preventing me from hurting myself. If you're just like, I'm not letting you tell me what to do. You're always acting like a pastor, you know. <laughs> and you just go ahead and you kill yourself, right? You kill yourself. And it's like, well, how lame is that? And that's kind of what happens with the human race. It's like, don't do this. It's going to hurt yourself. And we're like, oh, we'll show you. And then we kill ourselves. Paul says, it's not the laws that doesn't lead us to death. It's our own stupidity that leads us to death. It shows how messed up we are as a race. Okay, so, 
So he says, verse 13, well, did that which is good then become death to me? Well, by no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. You following this? You following what he's saying? He's saying that, hey, if you can take something good that's given to you as a gift and mess it up and lead to death, you see how messed up you really are? That's what he's saying. Now he says, now we know, verse 14, the law is spiritual. The law was came through the Holy Spirit. It's, it's of God. But I am unspiritual. I'm sold as a slave to sin. Now I want you to underline that. Would you underline it for me? I'm sold as a slave to sin. That's going to be very important. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. He says, now he says, what, is he, what, is he ta- what does he mean, I'm sold into slave? Well, he says, well, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do. And if I do what I do, do not want to do, I agree the law is good. I, 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 I don't want to do this, but I'm doing it anyway. I'm agreeing with God that he's right. I shouldn't be doing this. Verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Now, you, you catch what he said. This is a powerful statement. Paul is not saying he's not responsible. because Ultimately, he's responsible. I want you to catch this. Paul is saying there is some, there's a power within the human personality that drives us to do what we don't want to do. There's a power within you, there's a power within me that drives us to do what is self-destructive and what we don't even want to do. And yet it lures us on. There's like a magnetic pull towards evil, towards what is not right and good and true. And if you're human, you've experienced this. How many times have you said, I want to do this, and you end up doing that? How many times have you said, I will never do that again until tomorrow? (laughs) Right? Very profound. Verse 18, he says, and then he goes on, he says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. Again, literally in my flesh. Now, Paul's not saying that he is as bad as possible. He's not saying he could never do anything good. But what he is saying is that as human beings, there's something that's infected us to the core. That every, apart from Jesus, every action we take, every thought we have, it always comes to this angle of self-love. It always comes from an angle of self-preservation. If it's about us, it's not about loving God, it's not about loving others, it's about loving us, you see? And he says, um, for I have the desire to do what's good. We've all been there, right? We've got the good intentions, but I cannot carry it out. I don't have the, I have the desire, but not the power. You follow that? The key, key concept here is power. Power to change. Power to be someone you're not. It's one thing to want to be someone different. It's another thing to have the power to do it. And what he's saying is natural human beings under the law of God, we, we can say, yes, I want to do that, but we don't have the power to do it. Okay? Verse 18, or he says, verse 19, I have, the, I have desire to do it, verse 18, but, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do, 
is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I whom doing it, but it's this power of sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work, this law meaning this principle, like a law of nature or a law of gravity, I find this law at work. I found that here's the dynamic of the human life, the human personality. That when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, what he later calls his mind, in my inner being or my mind, I delight in God's law. He's like the psalmist. God, I love your law. I like to meditate on it. I love your law. But I see another law, another principle at work in the members of my body, and they're waging war. You might want to underline that. They're waging war. There's this war going on inside of me against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner, catch that word, prisoner, of the law of sin at work within my members. Man, what a wretched man I am. Have you been there? Have you been there? A wretched, have you been there? We started the day with the story of this young man growing up in this Christian home, loving God's word, loving him, comes into adolescence, and now all of a sudden we left him there at the counter, at the magazines, wanting so badly to open them up, knowing he shouldn't. Scared to death if he does, someone will discover him. What a wretched man I am, Paul says. I got this war going inside me. I I got God's law. It's good, it's right, it's true. Yes, I want to go that way. I I have good intentions. I don't have the power to carry it out. I've got this, this split personality. I'm being torn apart. This is what it means to be human. This is what it means to be human apart from Jesus. And so he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Well, you know, three guesses, the first two don't count. <laughs> hey, Jesus, there's an idea. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the one who's going to rescue me from this war. He's going to rescue, deliver me from this war inside of me. And now he summarizes the whole chapter. So then on, I myself and my mind, I'm a slave to God's law. I buy into it, but in the sinful nature, in the flesh, I'm a slave to the law of sin. Now, those are the three questions that, that Paul's Jewish listeners had. You know, Paul, how do we get out of this first marriage relationship commitment to God? And, and is the law then is a good thing or is it a bad thing? Well, doesn't it lead to death? He asked three questions. I want to ask one, a fourth question. This is my question, okay? So let's fill in the blanks there. The fourth question is, whose experience is Paul describing? in this chapter. Who's he describing? Now, if you look back at at verse 7, Paul begins to speak in first, begins to write in first person. Um, What then shall we say? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I, I would not have known what sin would be. Uh, for I would not have known 
what the law said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind. So it's I, me, I, me, first person stuff, right? So the question is, who is Paul describing? Is he describing his own spiritual journey? Either before he became a Christian or after he became a Christian, or is he describing, kind of like speakers often do, and I'll often do the speakers, speakers do this all the time, or writers do this, where you speak in first person, to, you're kind of speaking for the, the crowds. You're speaking for, the, like in this case, the Jewish race, or you're speaking for the human race. And what are you doing? And I gotta tell you that this is a great question, and there's not an easy answer. In fact, there's a lot of different lot of disagreement in Christian circles. You have Bible teachers, you ask commentaries or seminary professors or theologians. Yeah, there's been a lot of different opinions. But I'm going to tell you what my opinion is. Um, well, I think based on the whole context of the chapter, and I'll show you what I'm talking about, the whole concept of the chapter, Paul is describing what it's like to be a human being apart from Jesus Christ intersecting with the law. This is what the whole chapter of the He's describing the He's describing in particular the reality of the Jewish race, what they experienced, what it was to be in a marriage relationship with God where they knew what to do and they said we will do it, but they couldn't do it. Now, of course, like I said, this applies to any of us before we come to Christ. Now, let me tell you why I I think this. I think the key to the chapter, kind of the the key to unlocking the chapter is verses 5 and 6. Let's look at that. Verses 5 and 6. Paul says, for while we were controlled by the sinful nature, he's looking back in time. He's talking to his Christian brothers. He says, when we were controlled by the sinful nature, literally when we were in the flesh. Now, we'll see in chapter 8 that when a person comes to Christ, they are no longer in the flesh. Paul says they are in the spirit, right? So he's looking back. He says, when we were in the flesh, this is what happened to us. The law aroused these desires in us, and he basically is going to describe it all of chapter 7, what that experience is. But then he moves into verse 6, and he says, but now, what well, now we've come to Christ, by dying to what once bound us, our old relationship with the law, we've been released from the law so that we, have, we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So he says, we used to be, we were, we were just in the flesh, sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, when the law came in, we were, we were goners, we were bearing fruit for death, but now we've, we've, we've been died to that old method, we've come to a relationship with Jesus, we've received the Spirit, we bear fruit for life. And so I think that's the key uh, to this passage. Now, um, so next week we'll learn in chapter 8, we'll, okay, well, we'll move into the realm of the Holy Spirit, what happens when a person comes to the Spirit. Now, uh, what I'm not saying is I'm not saying that we can't relate to what Paul is saying here in Romans 7. I'm basically saying this is a description of the Jewish person under the law with apart from Christ, okay? Now, or any person, right, that would be trying to relate to God via the law. But, of course, we can relate to his, his writing, right? We, we've all been there. We've all experienced this. Um, and I'm not saying at all that Paul didn't dis- ever uh, struggle with sin. I'm sure he did. But there's one thing that seems very clear here, that in Romans 7, there's a statement that's made in verse 14. I'll take a look at that. This is the one I had you underline. Verse 14. It says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual. Catch what it says next. I'm sold as a slave to sin. What I suggest 
is this is a statement that, that, Christ, that Paul the apostle, the Christ follower, could never make about himself, that I am sold as a slave to sin. If you read the writings of Paul, it's very clear that Jesus has set him free. In fact, you remember last week, chapter 6, we spent the whole week on it. We're free from sin, right? We're dead to the old, the very clear, over and over. He said, you're now free from sin. In chapter 8, he's going to talk about the power that comes into our life when the Spirit comes. Totally different feeling than chapter 7. And so it seems pretty clear to me that chapter 7 is describing the dynamic of the human race, the Jewish nation, under the law of God with no power to carry it out. This is what life is like to be human, to be intersected with the law. Now, I've taken a long time to walk through the passage, primarily because the passage is really long. Uh, But before we're done, I want to get real practical here. And, And there's one kind of big takeaway that I want us to take with us today. That's just powerful. This is an important, incredibly important spiritual truth that is foundational for you becoming like Jesus and, and becoming the person he made you to be and be, being restored, all right? So there in your note sheet, there's a section called Romans 7, the big takeaway, and there's got one principle, and it goes like this, that it's impossible to win over sin on our own. This is a big takeaway from Romans 7. What's the lesson for us as Christ followers? It's impossible to win over sin on your own. Paul paints a pretty vivid picture of sin in this passage, doesn't he? I mean, he makes sin like it's a person. Like I... Like, I'll try and do the right thing, but sin's right there, and it's attacking me, and it's grabbing me, and it's throwing me down, and it's beating me up, and it's like, it's very vivid, isn't it? He paints a powerful picture of the power of sin in the human heart, right? And what he wants us to understand is that we can never overcome that power on our own. It's impossible. That it's who we are apart from Jesus. That will always win. Um, You know, we started... The story today with this young man, right? Okay, this uh, true confession time, that is my story. Okay, I'm the kid in that story. Um, and, and, and that experience that I had with the power of sin, moving into junior high, um, and all of a sudden being a Christ follower who loved God's word, who loved obeying God, who cared about his, Christ, his friends coming to Christ, who was trying to figure out how to be a bigger influence. I was a serious Christ follower, and yet when I came into junior high, all of a sudden I experienced the power of sin in my life. Right? Have you been there? Have you been there? Amen, yeah. Okay, and what this did is it, it sent me on a search. It sent me on a search for the solution to the power of sin. And it was a long search. I'll tell you more about that later on. But what I, what I discovered in that search is what Paul is saying here, that there is only one way to conquer the power of indwelling sin, and that is through a connection with the Holy Spirit. See, I want you to look again at chapter 7 and verse 6. I want you to catch this. this like I said, this is the key to the whole chapter, verses 5 and 6. He says, but now, now that we've come to Christ, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. 
and not in the old way of the written code, the new way of the Spirit. You're going to be studying that in your summer study homework this week, the new way of the Spirit. And what Paul wants us to catch is that if we are going to, con- if we are going to become overcomers, it is only through the power of the Spirit. Can I tell you what won't work? <laughs> Willpower. Uh, how about Bible study? Prayer? Accountability? Fasting? Now, can I tell you something? These are all good things, and God can use them and often does in our life of growth. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm telling you, when you pick up those tools as if, hey, I'm going to gut this out. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to get a calendar. I, 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 I. Can I tell you something? It ain't going to work. Because the power of sin within you is stronger than any I power you bring to it. And so the only power that we bring is the power of Jesus. This is why Paul will say in Galatians, it is not I, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live now, I live by faith, by reliance, by trust in the Son of God who gave himself with, for me. You see, the life I live is not by me anymore, it's by, by Christ. And there, there's, a, there's a power. So here's what he says. The most important lesson we need to learn as Christ followers in is how to listen and to surrender to the, vo- to the voice and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And as you go through the writings of Paul, he will say this a lot. Like if you go to chapter 5 of Galatians, he'll talk about this. He'll talk about the flesh and the spirit. And he says that it's only by following the lead of the spirit, keeping in step with the spirit in our life, that it gives us the power to overcome the flesh. Now, let me say this. That this is not an easy lesson to learn. It's not always quick. And I want to encourage you That if you are a Christ follower today and you're feeling a lot like I did standing in front of those magazines when I was 13 years old and that's been your Christian experience and you are discouraged and beat down, here's what I I just want to give you hope. And I want to say that Jesus Christ did not come for you to be mastered by sin. Jesus Christ came to set you free, but sometimes discovering that path to freedom is not easy and it's not overnight. And there's something about seeking God that kind of prepares our heart for it. And I just want to encourage you. I know for me, the journey was, gosh, it was a long journey and many years of seeking. But what I learned is that God is never wasting time. When you're praying and crying out, God, give me victory over this, and you can't seem to find the power, he's not wasting time. He's preparing you to receive the solution, right, in a whole variety of ways. I want you to unencourage you. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, seek and ye shall find. In fact, literally in the Greek, it says, seek and keep on seeking, and then one day you'll find. Ask and keep on asking, and you will receive. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be open. For everyone who asks in this way receives, and everyone who seeks in this persistent way, they will find. And everyone who knocks in this persistent way, they will have the door open. And then he said this, if you being evil Know how to give good gifts to your kids. 
if you being Romans 7 kinds of people know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more? And so this will be a journey for us as a church as we learn to press into Jesus and we learn to rely on, to depend on, to follow, to connect with the Holy Spirit. Because he's the only one that can lead us out of Romans 7 and into Romans 8. And great news, we get to go there next week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the work of your spirit. God, I thank you in my life for rescuing me from myself. God, I know that my love and passion for you flow out of those years. It's knowing what it's like to be a wretched man. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then, and then for you to take me by the hand and walk me out, God. I'll always live to praise you because of that. And God, we want to be a church of people who are learning to go deeper into your spirit and deeper into your power. And Lord, we, we would just admit that we, we may, many of us here, none of the first things about this, but we want to follow. We want to be set free. We want to be bearing fruit for you through the power of your spirit. And so we pray, God, that you would come and you would teach us and you'd be our teacher. I pray for my brothers and sisters here today that are discouraged and beat down. I pray for that man who's struggling with alcoholism and he just doesn't think he can say no anymore. I pray for that, that woman who's struggling with a sexual addiction. I pray for my brother or sister, Lord, who's struggling with a gambling problem or that woman who's struggling with bitterness or that young man who's struggling with pornography on his computer, God. I just, I just claim your victory for them and for every one of us. God, that we would learn how to move into the power and the freedom of your spirit. God, the, as your word says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we want to experience that. And so, God, we pray that you'd be teaching this even this week, next two weeks, as we talk about the Holy Spirit, that you would be teaching us and opening our eyes to the powerful role of this divine mentor you've given us. How to lean on him, how to depend on him, how to connect with him, how to have, experience the release of your spirit in our lives. We pray this and we will give you praise in Christ's name. Amen.